This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3434 for Thursday, the 30th of September 2021. Today's show is entitled, From Zero to K8S, in 30 minutes and is part of the series networking. It is hosted by Klaatu and is about 32 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is, build a Kubernetes cluster, run a website, route traffic to website. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hey everybody, you're listening to Hacker Public Radio. My name is Klaatu and this is From Zero to Kubernetes in 30 minutes. I believe I can do this. Okay, in order to get a Kubernetes cluster up and running, you need at least three computers. Now, there are edge cases where you could run a local Kubernetes instance with just one computer and and it sort of tricks itself into thinking that it's a cluster. But what I'm talking about is a real-life cluster that you're going to be able to deploy applications on, you're going to be able to load balance, and you'll have a lot of fun with it. Three computers. One will be your control plane, that's what they call it, the control plane. Two of them will be nodes, compute nodes. So it'll be a small cluster, but it will be a cluster. I am using Raspberry Pis for this. I went out, bought three Raspberry Pi 4s, and installed CentOS on them. That You can get a, an image for CentOS for a Raspberry Pi 4 at people.centos.org slash p greco just like the painter with the letter p in front of it p greco i'll put that link in the show notes i'm going to also admit it's easier to do this on debian you may as well just use debian i'm not saying it's difficult on centos it's just that centos the the support for pi 4 on centos seems to be hit or miss sometimes it exists sometimes it doesn't same goes for fedora so if you're not invested in running an rpm based distro the way that i am then please just use debian it's easier and all the steps are the same do this get linux on three separate pi units each with the same specs you don't want to do a mixed environment keep them all the same it makes everything a lot easier once you have that sorted, make sure that they're all plugged in, powered on, hooked up to uh, the same network, they can talk to each other, and so on. Now you're good for the next step. And the next step is to manage your host names. The host names of each Pi must be unique. Without a unique host name, your cluster will not function. Now, there are several kinds of different host names. There's uh, transient and, I don't know, permanent and happy and grumpy. I just set everything to make sure that everything, all the host names are going to get set right now in three different commands. Now, you want to use probably a naming scheme just to make this make sense for yourself. I use K for Kubernetes, an integer starting at 100 just because, and then C for cluster or cloud, I guess. So the commands are sudo hostname k100c, sudo syscontrol, or that's s-y-s-c-t-l, kernel.hostname equals k100c, sudo hostname control, that's hostname ctl, space set-hostname k100c. You do that on each pi. Of course, you increment 100. So the next pi, you'll do all of those three commands, k101c, 100, 101, and 102. Next step, reboot. I know you shouldn't have to reboot. I reboot anyway, just to make sure that host name gets through all of the different systems and subsystems that it needs to get through. Next step, set a verbose prompt. 
This seems weird and unnecessary, but honestly, when you're dealing with this many computers, you're bound to get confused. Now, in real life, you probably actually won't be interacting with your nodes all that much, but initially you will be, and I guarantee you, you're going to do something stupid if you don't have a unique prompt. At the very least, export PS1 to include your host name. That's the very least. I, I make it big and bold and really long and ridiculous so that I'll never miss which unit I am on. I will paste my dash RC line into the show notes so that you can see what I do. I think it really works. It's changed my life. You should do it too. Next step, install a PyFinder script. This is not strictly necessary. It has nothing to do with Kubernetes, and if you're not using Pies for your Kubernetes cluster, then this doesn't apply to you. But if you are, this is a great script. I got it from a guy named Chris Collins over on opensource.com. I've learned a heck of a lot from him about Kubernetes. This script is just one of those really, really great ideas that he had. It causes the Py... LED to blink. So if you need to go to a Pi on your network because, I don't know, you need to swap out the SD card or plug a USB device into it or something like that, then this script, you activate it and it starts blinking the LED for you so you know exactly which Pi you're actually targeting. I'll include a link in the show notes. Next step, install Kubernetes. This one's a little bit confusing. Kubernetes is a little confusing. Kubernetes is a project. I mean, it, it does exist, kubernetes.io. But there are different implementations of it. It's an open source project. People can do what they w- will with the code, and they do. So you'll find different implementations and different versions. You'll find things like Minikube and Microcates and OKD at okd.io and OpenShift at openshift.io and Kubernetes itself, just pure Kubernetes at kubernetes.io. There are lots of them out there. The one that I am going to recommend strongly for Raspberry Pi usage is K3S. K3S.io, it's the easiest and cleanest and frankly just the most serious method for getting Kubernetes on an ARM device. If you're not using a Pi for your cluster, then you can use whatever you want, and certainly if you're listening to this episode because you have to learn Kubernetes for work, or you're learning it so that you can get a better job and upskill and stuff like that, then use whatever you think you're going to be using in the end. Having said that, they're still all Kubernetes. You'll still encounter the same commands, like kubectl and things like that. My guiding principle here would be to get the Kubernetes that installs on the thing that you are running Kubernetes on. From this point on, I will assume that you've taken my advice and that you're using K3S. If you haven't taken my advice or you're not using a Pi and you don't see the reason to use K3S, that's fine. All of this will still apply to you, at least generally. The install of Kubernetes itself might be a little bit different for you, but generally speaking, these are the steps you're going to take. Like I say, K3S makes it really, really easy, so I encourage you to try that out, but even if you're not using K3S, the kubectl commands that we'll, we'll cover later on all apply, so all is not lost. So for K3S, installing it on a Pi, the first thing that you do is you run the little curl command that they give you on their website. It is linking to an install uh, K3S script. I like to curl it down to my computer and then look at it. It's a really big script. It's very impressive. Curl-SF capital L HTTPS colon slash slash get dot K3S dot IO. That's get as in G-E-T dot K3S dot IO dash O for output install underscore K3S dot SH or whatever. And then chmod 700 install underscore K3 dot SH just to make it executable. Read the script over. See what it does. Make sure that it's doing what you think it does. It, it, it is, but still make sure. And then you can run it dot slash install underscore K3S dot SH. As I recall, it asks you to become sudo and it runs the install 
installer and installs Kubernetes. This, by the way, is pretty common in the Kubernetes world. Apparently, Kubernetes doesn't really like to deal with package management for some reason, and all of them seem to just tell you to curl a script and install it on your computer. I, I see very few of them that do it differently. It's, it's very odd to me. After installation, you're prompted to add some arguments to your bootloader, again, if you're running this on a Pi. So you'll open slash boot slash command line, that's C-M-D-L-I-N-E dot T-X-T in a text editor, and add cgroup underscore memory equals one, space cgroup underscore enable equals memory to your bootloader line. They'll print that in the terminal after you install, so it will be very easy to do. You can just copy and paste it. Reboot your Pi. I know you shouldn't have to, but I still do, just because that command line, I want to make sure that that gets loaded in at boot time. Once the Pi is back up, verify that your node is ready. K3S space cube cuddle. That's K-U-B-E-C-T-L. That's a command you will be hearing a lot in this episode, so we'll just get used to how I say it. Cube cuddle space git space node. This shows you uh, the name of the device, which is K100C in my case. It tells you the status. It should say ready. It tells you the role that it's playing in your cluster. Well, this is your control plane. That's what they call the, the, the sort of the central node of your cluster. This is the one that you'll log into and you'll control your cluster from this exact pi. The name for that is a control plane. Get used to that term, you'll hear it a lot. Next step, you need a token. It's a way to authenticate so that when you're adding nodes to your cluster, they know that the control plane that they think that they're joining is the control plane that they think that they're joining, and vice versa. You can create one, or you can possibly find one that's already been generated. K3S distribution already generates it for you. Pseudo space cat space slash var slash lib slash rancher slash k3s slash server slash node dash token. And you get a big, long, I don't know, 64 or 72 alphanumeric string that identifies your control plane to the nodes that you'll be adding to your cluster. If that doesn't exist, if you're not using k3s, that's okay. You can use the kube adm command or kube admin or whatever, k-u-b-e-a-d-m space token space generate. That'll generate the token and then you can use that to authenticate. Next step, add your control plane host name to your hosts file. If you know how to manage local DNS settings, then you can just use your DNS server to identify hosts in your cluster, but if you're not running that, then the easiest way to make nodes be able to find your control plane is just add your control plane's host name and IP address to the slash etsy slash hosts file on each node. This also assumes that your control plane has a static local IP address. For example, this is the host file of K101C and K102C for me. Uh, 127.0.0.1, localhost, local domain, colon, colon, one, localhost, six, dot, local domain, six, and then 10.0.1.100 space K100C. Save that. Now I've got my Etsy hosts file with an entry for K100C. So if I ping K100C from a terminal, then it knows where to look. It looks at 10.0.1.100, and it finds that pi there because I have a static IP address set in my home router to ensure that K100C is always going to be located at 10.0.1.100. To be clear, of course, that IP address might be different on your network, so you need to know your network well enough, and you need to have mapped your IP addresses out correctly so that you can always reliably find your control plane on your network. Next step, time to add some nodes. 
Now you can add the other Pi computers to your cluster. On each Pi that you want to turn into a compute node, install K3S with the control plane and token as the environment variables, which I'll I'll, I'll demonstrate in a moment here. So on the second Pi, for instance, you'd run this command, curl-sf capital L, https colon slash slash git dot k3s dot io pipe k3s underscore url that's all capitals equals https colon slash slash k100c which this pi can resolve because we've added it to the host file colon 6443 that's the standard kubernetes port space k3s underscore token all capitals again equals quote and then the big long token that you got, you'll have to copy and paste that, you know, through SSH. Close quote, space, SH, space, dash. So just be aware, this is pulling a script off the internet and piping it directly into a shell session. If you're not comfortable with that, you can download it first, reread it, and launch it again, just as I did in the first original K3S install step. I, I figure once I've done it once, I might as well trust that it's going to be the same script the second and the third time. If you're not comfortable doing that, that's fine. You can just secure copy your downloaded script that you've audited over to each Pi and run it through there. Either way, you're installing K3S on the other two Pis now, but you're doing it with these arguments, the K3S URL and the K3S token, which tells this install script to add these little Pi units as compute nodes in a cluster that already has a control plane. Next step, you have a cluster. It's done. You, you are actually fin- you've created a Kubernetes cluster. You can verify this on your control plane. So this is K100C now. You go back to the original Pi. And you can verify that all of your nodes are active with this command, k3s space cube control space git space nodes. That's k3s cube control git nodes, or just cube control git nodes. That shows you the name of all of your compute nodes, which k100c, k102c, k101c. The status is ready. The roles that they play is control plane and none and none. And that's it. You've now got a fully functional Kubernetes cluster. What are you going to do with it? Well, that's the next half of this episode. We're going to install a web server and deploy it and expose it to an external IP address. But first, a coffee break. Wrong show. Next step, now that you have a Kubernetes cluster running on your Pis or your spare computers or whatever you're using for this, you can start running applications in containers. That's what Kubernetes does. It orchestrates and manages containers. You may have heard of containers. I did an episode about Docker containers in episode 1522 of Hacker Public Radio. You can also go listen to an episode I did on LXC, which is kind of the containers that just comes with Linux anyway, in episode 371, gnuworldorder.info. There's a sequence to launching containers within Kubernetes, though, a specific order you need to follow because there are a lot of moving parts, and those parts have to reference each other accurately for them to find one another and work together. Generally, the hierarchy is something like this, and maybe it's not exactly a hierarchy, but the the landscape looks like this. You've got namespaces. These are the sort of the project spaces of Kubernetes. It's it's more complex than that, and I cover it in great detail in uh, GNU World Order episode 1339. That's info slash hash 13x39. Within a namespace, you can create a deployment. A deployment manages pods. Pods are groups of containers. They help your cluster scale on demand. Services are front ends to deployments. A deployment with its little pods 
They can be running in the background quietly, and they'll never see the light of day until a service points it out. And then finally, you've got traffic or, or exposure. A service is only available to your cluster until you expose it to the outside world with an external IP address. So once again, that's namespaces, deployments, and pods, services, and then traffic or network traffic or, or routing. I don't know what we want to call it. First, though, we're going to create a namespace for this test application that we're doing right now, which is just going to be a quick little web server, an Nginx web server. Cube Control. I know I said earlier I was going to say it Cube Cuddle, and now I'm saying it Cube Control. It's weird. Cube Control Create Namespace K-Test. I'm calling it K-Test as in Kubernetes test. You could call it whatever you want. It's, it's nothing special about the term K-Test, but that's what I'm choosing to call this namespace. So again, that's Cube Control Create Namespace K-Test. The Kubernetes project provides an example Nginx deployment definition. It's very handy. Go to https colon slash slash kates, that's K, and then the number 8, s.io, slash examples, slash applications, slash deployment.yaml. I'll put that in the show notes. Read through it to get an idea of what it does. It'll look something like this. It'll have an API version, which is uh, part of the specification of how Kubernetes interacts with you and with the world. Kind is deployment, so kind colon deployment. Metadata name nginx-deployment. That is super, super important. This is the name of your deployment. I am calling it, very logically, Nginx-deployment. In real life, you might have a different scheme that you want to follow, but for me, it just makes sense to name the thing after what it is and then the type of object on Kubernetes it is. So Nginx-deployment. And then you have to to tell it some specifications. So spec, colon. This is really important. Selector, match labels, app, colon, Nginx. So this is another one of those terms, app, colon, nginx. That's that's a label that gets applied to this deployment, identifying to the rest of your cluster what this deployment provides. It's really just kind of a tag, and you'll see it later on. We'll search for things in our cluster with the app equals nginx attribute. So it, it very much kind of gets... It gets referenced later on, and that's important to know. Replicas colon 2, that tells the deployment to run two pods matching uh, the template that you're using. And the template has metadata and labels, and again, the label is app nginx, and it's going to reference a container, and the container's name is nginx, and the image itself is nginx colon 1.14.2. This is all provided by online repositories of images. This is how the cloud works. Uh, and then finally, you're defining in the container the ports that you're going to need this container to be able to access. And the port that you're accessing here, as you might expect with a web server, is container port colon 80. I will put this YAML in the show notes. Don't worry about it. But it's also, as I've said, this is available on Kubernetes's website. So it's, it's very easy to obtain. But this is, of course, just one Nginx container. There are half a dozen, probably more, out there from other people with Nginx servers in container Images and so on. So this isn't that unique, but it, this does define a nice, tidy little test deployment. So remember, app is set to nginx, and the name of this deployment is nginx-deployment. Those are two important attributes about this deployment. Now we can create the deployment using this example file with cube control space dash dash namespace ktest. That's important. See, we're 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 starting to use cube control with the additional option dash dash namespace k test 
so that we're actually we're, we're sort of installing everything into this specific namespace. If you forget to specify the namespace, it gets installed to your default namespace, and you don't always want that. It's not the end of the world. You can remove them. It's not that hard. But be aware that the dash dash namespace becomes really important as you progress further into your Kubernetes install, because now you've got different sort of folders, if you will, if you could think of a namespace as a folder. You've got different folders where you're putting stuff now, and you don't want it just scattered all over your uh, system. And, and they're not really folders, but I'm, I'm using that as an, as an analogy. Cube control dash dash namespace ktest create dash f, that's from a file, https colon slash slash kates.io slash examples slash application slash deployment dot yaml. So you're pulling that yaml file off the internet, you're feeding it into cube cuddle, and there I did it again, and then you can confirm that the deployment exists and has generated new pods by using the command cube control space dash dash namespace ktest space git space all. That prints out a couple of different lines for you. It shows you that you've got a couple of pods running. I have two pods here running. I've got a deployment, deployment.apps slash nginx dash deployment. It shows as ready. Replica set dot apps slash nginx dash deployment dash some random string of, of alphanumeric characters. You can see all of the pods labeled with app nginx by selecting app nginx. So you do cube control space uh, dash dash namespace space ktest get pods dash l app equals nginx. So you're just looking at the pods, get pods, but you're adding a little dash l app equals nginx so that you're filtering out just the pods that have the attribute of app nginx. I don't need you to do that for any particular reason. I'm just trying to demonstrate that the way that you've defined this deployment as being an app of nginx, that gives you extra data that you can query against later on, and you can reference in other YAML files when you do whatever next step there is, such as, I don't know, creating a service. Next step, create a service. A service is the thing that sort of exposes a deployment to the rest of the cluster. Without a service, your deployment and your pods could be running. I mean, they are running. So Nginx right now is running on your cluster. It's just you can't get to it from anywhere because there's no defined service alerting everyone of its existence. And the reason for that would be that you've got lots of pods running, but which pod would you personally go to? Well, we don't want to leave that up to you, so we create a service. The selector element in the YAML of your creating a service is going to be set to nginx, because you want to match pods running app equals nginx. Without this selector, there'd be nothing to correlate your service with the pods running the application you want to serve. You can do this with a YAML file. Again, I'll put this in the show notes, but it would be API version colon version one kind colon service metadata name nginx dash deployment labels run colon nginx deployment spec ports ports 80 protocol TCP selector app nginx. That's the YAML, so you can kind of hear in there as I rattle it off that we're referencing the nginx deployment, and we're referencing the different ports that that this application wants to talk to, and then we are also referencing the application itself, which in this case has been defined as nginx. You can verify that this service exists once... Oh, actually, first you have to apply it. So, kube control 
dash dash namespace k test, create dash f, and then the path to the YAML file that we just rattled off, so service.yaml maybe. Once you've done that, you can verify that the service exists with cube control space dash dash namespace k test, git service nginx dash deployment, it reveals to you that there is an nginx deployment available on the cluster IP of 10.43.32.89. In my case, that's just an example. The external IP is set to none. That's important. The port available is 80 slash TCP. You can get a lot more information than that, though. Cube control spa- uh, space dash dash namespace ktest space describe space service space nginx dash deployment. This shows you, I don't know, 10 or 12 lines about this service, the, the name of it, the namespace that it's running in, the labels that it's looking at, the selector that it's using, and very importantly, it tells you the endpoints. The endpoints, in, in my case, are, are one thing. In your case, they'll be another, but they're a list of of available, really, pods. Now, this is all internal. This is all inside your cluster still, so it's it's not very useful anywhere else but on your cluster. But if you want to see something cool, go to one of your nodes, SSH into one of your nodes, so either K101C or K102C, and do curl space HTTP colon slash slash 10.43.32.89, or, or whatever the IP is of this, of this service. That, that's not the endpoint IPs, it's the, it's the main IP, the cluster IP. When you do that, you'll see the welcome page, raw HTML dumped into your terminal, but it's the welcome page of your Nginx web server. Next step, expose your deployment. Literally, you have to SSH into your node right now to see your website. That's not going to be very useful. So to make it available to outside traffic, even if it's just on your local home network for now, you need to route network traffic to your cluster IP somehow. There are many tools that provide this functionality. Some different Kubernetes distributions have different tools built in. Some of them don't have anything built in at all. I don't have that much experience with all of them, but the one that I'm using right now and the one that I have been enjoying is Metal LB, like Metal Load Balancer. You can install it according to their their website install instructions it's pretty much just these three incantations cube control space apply dash f https colon slash slash raw dot github user content dot com slash metal lb slash metal lb slash v zero dot ten dot two or whatever the latest edition is slash manifests slash namespace dot yaml you can read that file before you actually apply it if you want I mean, not if you run that command, but you can go to that URL, read it. It creates a namespace. It's pretty straightforward. And then you do a cube control apply dash F. Same URL, except instead of namespace.yaml, you do metallb.yaml. Again, you can read it before you do it. That one's quite a lot more complex than namespace.yaml. It, it creates an, uh, a daemon set and a security policy and a deployment and a bunch of other things. So it's, it's good reading. If you want to see complex YAML for Kubernetes, go read that. Finally, you have to create a secret code for the Metal LB system. So it's cube control space create space secret space generic dash dash namespace Metal LB dash system. You'll want to remember Metal LB dash system. That's the namespace that Metal LB exists in. Space member list space dash dash from dash literal equals secret key equals quote dollar sign parentheses open SSL space rand space dash base 64 space 128 close parentheses close quote. This is all available to, for, for further reading on Metal LB's website under the install instructions. You can read more about what you're actually doing and why you're doing it there. I'm not going to get too far into it. 
For now, we'll just say it's another component for Kubernetes. In this case, of course, it's going to be routing the traffic. In order for it to route network traffic, you need to decide what the network range you want your cluster to govern. So this cannot, it must not overlap with what your DHCP server governs. You may not necessarily have a DHCP server as such. I mean, not not that you think about all the time. But of course, if you're just at home and you've got a router, then the DHCP server is probably in the home router. If, you, if you're at work, it might be a separate server. Reserve some block of IP addresses just for your cluster. I start my network at 100, so 10.0.1.100. And on up, that means I've got the lower block entirely available to something else. And that something else now is the cluster. Here's what that looks like. It is a config map, is the object type that you're creating. And so you would probably call this like metallv.yaml or something. And it would look a little bit something like API version colon v1 kind colon config map metadata namespace colon metallv-system. Remember, that's the namespace of metallv. Name colon config. Data config creates an address pool. The name for me is address-pool-zero. Protocol layer 2 addresses, again, this is just for my network, 10.0.1.1 slash 26. That gives me like 62 addresses available just for my cluster that my DHCP server will never touch because my DHCP server doesn't start assigning addresses until the 100 block. You can also define it as, for instance, 10.0.1.1-10.0.1.62, or whatever it is. Save that as something, metallb.yaml, and apply the configuration as usual. Cube control, space apply, space dash f, space metallb.yaml. You now have a config map for metallb, and of course metallb is running, so the next step is to create a load balance service mapping your deployment's ports, that's port 80 in this case, which you can verify with cube control dash dash namespace ktest get all, and you'll recall that it showed the available or the, the port that it wanted to talk to. So here's some YAML that you'd save as like load balance.yaml. API version colon v1 kind colon service metadata name ktest dash external namespace colon ktest. Spec uh, is the selector is app colon nginx. So there again, we're selecting the containers running an app with the label nginx. That's an important attribute that we keep coming back to. And and that's a very common thing within these YAML files. And it, it gets, it takes some training to sort of recognize the patterns, but eventually you'll get to realize that, that this name or that app, those are significant values that map to something else on the system somewhere else. Ports, protocol TCP, port 80, target port 80, type load balance. This service selects any deployment in the ktest namespace, and of course we, we know that we're only running one deployment there, but if we weren't, it would, it, would, it would look at them all, and it selects it if, and only if, the app is the app value is set to nginx. And then it maps the containers port 80 to a port 80 on an IP address within the address range you've given the cluster permission to use. One quick note about that, port 80, target port 80, they're the same in this case. Target port is the one inside your container or in your deployment. So for instance, if that Nginx image had been running on port 8080, then I would have put port 80, target port 8080. Apply that YAML with cube control apply dash f load balance dot YAML. And now you can find the external IP address with cube control space git space service space ktest 
dash external, or whatever you called your service, I called it ktest dash external, dash dash namespace ktest. That gives me a little bit of a readout here. It says the name is ktest, the type is load balancer, the cluster IP is 10.43.whatever, external IP 10.0.1.3. Open a web browser, navigate to the external IP address 10.0.1.3, and you'll see finally in a graphical view the Nginx web server welcome page. You've got an internal IP address now, 10.0.1.3. You could then go to your router, do some port forwarding so that you could get through your home router and see 10.0.1.3 in the wider world. I hope that was helpful. I know that was a lot of information in a very, very short amount of time, but that's everything. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next step. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.